You're listening to TIP. Hey, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of the Bitcoin Fundamentals podcast. On today's show, I have a guest that needs no introduction because he's one of the most prolific writers in the Bitcoin space. He goes by the name Gigi, and as you'll see in our conversation, he is just a deep and profound thinker. During our show, we talk about his general thoughts on the health and fundamentals of the Bitcoin network, developments he's most excited for, why Bitcoin is time and what that even means, some of his thoughts around proof of work versus proof of stake, what is this new value for value that's happening on layer two, among many other topics and ideas. So without further delay, here's my chat with Gigi. You're listening to Bitcoin Fundamentals by The Investors Podcast Network. Now for your host, Preston Pish. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the show. Like I said in the introduction, I'm here with Gigi. And this I don't know why this has taken us so long to get to this point where we're having a conversation because, man, I've been a fan of yours for a very long time and learned just unbelievable amounts of information from you. So welcome to the show. Very excited to have you here. Hey, Preston. Thanks a lot for having me. And thanks so much for the kind words. Well, I'm not going to take this lightly. So you're writing, I, I would say, for somebody who's maybe just joining us and, and tapping into Bitcoin and trying to learn for the first time, you have some of the most profound pieces that you've written about in the entire space. I can honestly, and I think most people that are you know, in the space would probably agree with that characterization and, and say, say the same. So we're going to have links to a lot of the different articles that you've written through the years in the show notes for people as they're hearing this to kind of pick through and read because my goodness, man, some of the stuff you've written is just unbelievable. Anyway, I don't know. Thanks. Yeah, there's no question there. That was just a, that was just me pontificating. <laughs> thanks. Yeah, I, I I guess you know, like again, thanks a lot for the kind words. My work mostly builds up on on other people's stuff, and basically, Bitcoin just blew my mind a couple of years ago, and I'm just doing my best to pick up the pieces and kind of try to bring it in a form that is you know understandable to more people because it's kind of. It's kind of hard. Like everyone knows that if you if you meet another Bitcoiner, uh, in the, you know, at the conference or, or whatever, and you, and you're shooting this for a couple of hours, there is a level of understanding that when you're talking to someone who hasn't been digesting Bitcoin content for like thousands of hours, mm-hmm. it's just very difficult to really break it down to normal language and kind of to concepts that are relatable. And so, yeah, I I, I try to do this as best as I can because I I feel like yeah, uh, as as I've said before, like the the world would be a way, way better place if more people understood Bitcoin. So that's, that's why I'm, I'm doing what I'm doing. And I'm, I'm happy that it resonates with a lot of people and a lot of people find it useful. Couldn't agree with you more. What are you most excited about in 2022? Because so many in this space just look at the price action and they say, oh, Bitcoin's, it's not good this year. It's down, <laughs> right? But it is way more involved than just that, especially from a fundamental standpoint. So what is it that you're looking at right now that you're most excited about? Hmm, That's a good question. And I have multiple answers. I think what I'm most excited about is the continuation of the grassroots movement that is Bitcoin, that it it is spreading, not top down, but it's spreading bottom up. And more and more people are kind of, you know, like proud about the values that Bitcoin stands for. You know, they are speaking out about the insanity that's going on in, in the current system. And they are like, we need Bitcoin and I'm a Bitcoiner and I'm not shy about it and we need sound money and so on. 
And they are building those strong communities and connecting with people and trying to truly opt out of the system that is kind of falling apart. So I'm, I'm really excited about that because, because like what Bitcoin is and what it will be in the future, it's like a moving target, you know, and we definitely, we definitely made some transitions, <laughs> like not too long ago, Bitcoin was equivalent to buying drugs on the Silk Road, you know, and now we are in a completely different territory. And to me, Bitcoin is for the people by the people, it's people's money. And, and the people are, are finally kind of learning about Bitcoin and are motivated enough to use it and to make something of it. And again, as I, as I said, like opting out of, of the failing system and using Bitcoin as they see fit. And I'm, I'm really excited about that, that this is happening all over the world. Why, why do you think that it is a, a grassroots? Why is it starting from the grassroots and not from the top down? And, for, and then a follow-up to that would be, there are a few people that are figuring it out that you would think would not be early adopters to the scene because they, they have so much you know, wealth and they, just, they have no real reason to really kind of be paying attention to this. So how about them? What's, what's the thing that's causing them to see it where so many of, the, of their counterparts are not? <laughs> yeah, one of these guys, he, he has the domain hope.com. And I think, you know, that explains a lot. I think Bitcoin is hope to a lot of people because Bitcoin, the reason why it moves uh, bottom up as instead of top down is that Bitcoin puts the individual at the center and no one forces you to use Bitcoin. It's a voluntary choice and you are in full control if you want to be, you know, like, like you can hold your own keys. You can run your own node. You can even mine yourself. You know, like you can produce your own blocks and, and, <laughs> and have your own hash rate and so on. Like that's very, very different than other systems or, or that the, the current banking and fiat system, how it, how it operates. You don't have the option to do it yourself. You know, you're always in this client-server, master-slave relationship. You don't have the possibility to run your own node. And uh, for example, also like try to find out how many euros are in existence or how many US dollars are in existence. In Bitcoin, it's one, one command away and you can verify yourself with your own node. And I think all these, all these kind of technical base realities, they're kind of responsible for this bottom-up movement because you can actually do it yourself. You don't need anyone's permission to use Bitcoin. And that's insanely important because depending on your situation, you might be kind of forced to use Bitcoin, you know, like there, there are countries, as you know, that where, you know, like Bitcoin is the only savings vehicle uh, that works for you and, and where people have access to. And you have access to it because you can do everything yourself and no one can stop you from using Bitcoin. You know, like what Bitcoin is and what using Bitcoin means is very different. Like it's different for different people and that are in different situations. If you just need to generate a private key, for example, which allows you to receive funds, you can lock yourself in the bathroom and, and flip a coin, you know, 256 times. Like that's all you need to do. <laughs> that's literally all you need to do. And the rest is just pen and paper. And, and then you can derive a Bitcoin address from that and you post it on your social media profile or whatever, like whatever channel you want to use. How and people would, can send you funds. How long would that take if somebody wanted to generate their own key and do the math? How long do you think that that process would take? Um, it, it doesn't take too long. It doesn't take too long. I mean, if you have access to some computing device and some tool that, ca that even works offline, like a, a calculator, it doesn't take you too long. There are tools where you can enter the series and ones of the coin flips and it will spit out a, a valid address. Like it will take you, if you use something like that, it will only take you a couple of minutes. If you actually do the math by hand, it depends on how, you, how, how good you are at math, you know, like <laughs> it's a bit involved, but <laughs> you can actually do it, you know, and that's why it's so powerful. Like literally no one can stop you. That's, that's how Bitcoin works and that's how it operates. 
And uh, that's very, very different than, you know, like creating a PayPal account or opening a bank account with some random bank and so on. And, and that's why it's so powerful and, and bottom up, in my opinion. That's unbelievable when you just take a step back and think about the ramifications of what you just described. Um, yeah. And it's also like all, all this, again, I, I always come back to, to kind of the, the base reality of Bitcoin and how it operates, because this is what makes it so powerful. This is also like the fact that all you need is a private key to receive and spend funds is like the consequence of that is that you can have your money in your head and people, people are not like <laughs> the full consequences of this reality are not clear to most yet because you can like <laughs> just generate a private key. It doesn't matter if you do it alone on, on the toilet or you, you use a hardware wallet or whatever, it, it doesn't really matter. As long as it's random, you know, as long as the entropy is good, you're fine. And then you can convert it to like 12 or 24 words. And you can actually remember 12 words. Like that's doable, you know, especially if you're, you're in a situation where you have to flee your country or what have you, then putting 12 words in your head, you can actually do it. And this works because of the base reality of Bitcoin, of how it operates. Bitcoin is just pure information. And then you have 12 words in your head and you can be as wealthy as the Bitcoin network allows, you know, like it can be <laughs> like a sailor can do it. And that's, that's a lot of wealth. And he could run around naked and still be very, very wealthy. And that's, that's why we say Bitcoin is unconfiscatable and, and, and all that things, you know, like take everything with a grain of salt. It's, it's very, it's not advisable to do, you know, like if, if you have a stroke, um, <laughs> you're suddenly not as wealthy anymore. So I, I wouldn't advise you to do this. But there are situations where people did this and where people are doing this. And, and this is so powerful, it boggles the mind. And it all comes back to the fact of Bitcoin's operation and that Bitcoin is pure information and that the private key is pure information. That's why you can transform it to 12 words and, that's, and then you, you have it in your head. And it's literally, this is the money, you know? Like it's not, it's not like you're logged into a bank account or, or whatever. It's like the value itself is in these bits of information. And, and this is just amazing. Again, like I said in the beginning, Bitcoin, like once I figured this out, Bitcoin blew my mind and I'm just, I'm just trying to put the pieces back together and, you know, sometimes an article pops out. <laughs> you even describe it in one of your articles as just being magical. And what, you know, what you're just describing to me almost doesn't even seem like, I mean, Michael Saylor is a great example. He's got, what, $7 billion in Bitcoin. And, the, and to think that you could memorize 12 words in your head, and go anywhere on the planet and have access to that spending power and, and that buying power is just, it, yeah. it, def, it, defy, it defies <laughs> uh, the, how our brains can even process that, right? Yeah, it's, it's like in a fairy tale, you know, like you have this, this magic spell. And if you, if you know it, you, you can do very powerful things, you know? And if, if, if you would know Michael Saylor's 12 words, like, you know, like that, that would be something. <laughs> <laughs> and, now, and now, you know, like if, if you're not uh, well versed in entropy and the kind of the numbers that are involved in making all this work, then, then people will, will start to, you know, try to guess the different combinations of 12 or 24 words, because it sounds like, it sounds so ridiculous, you know, like it's only 12 words. How hard will it be to guess? Yeah, it turns out that all the computers in the world will guess for a couple million years and you won't even be close, you know, like it's yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, the Bitcoin works because there's, uh, you know, a certain power in, in large numbers. And, and that's also why I think it's, it's bottom up as opposed to top down, because Bitcoin favors the defender. Cryptography favors the defender, you know, and we never had this. Like you have a military background, you know this very well. Usually it's like the guy with the biggest stick. Has the upper hand, you know. Like if if you have 
again, like the, the, the larger stick, the, the bigger battleship, the larger army and so on. This is usually the party who makes the rules, you know, like if there, if there is a conflict, the conflict resolution happens with power and with show of force and so on and so forth. And in Bitcoin, this is different. In cryptography in general, it's different. You know, like no army in the world can ever break strong cryptography. Like that's, that's not how this works. Like it, it, doesn't, it doesn't help you to, to solve a math problem. And it's, it's not even a math problem, really. You know, like it's oftentimes in the mainstream media, you see that Bitcoin miners, they solve complicated math problems. No, 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 that's not what they're doing. They're trying to find a very specific number. Like a set of numbers is, is valid. And, and the search space is so large that you have to roll the dice so many times, like the, the chance is so minuscule that you find this number that all they're doing is guessing. You know, it's not complicated. It's not complicated at all. They're just trying to find the right number. And that's also why, why cryptography favors the defender and favors the individual. If you use strong cryptography to defend yourself, it doesn't matter if all the armies in the world conspire against you. Like if, if China and the US and Russia conspire against you, they won't be able to break strong cryptography. They won't be able to get to your secret. They won't be able to get the 12 words out of your head, for example, you know, like, and that's why it empowers the individual. And that's why I think it's so beautiful because there, it will always be like this. This is how Bitcoin operates. And, and there is no way of, of changing that. Like this will never change. This is now the truth that exists in the universe. You know, this is now a given fact. And if you know about this, you can make use of it. And, and that's why I think it's so insanely beautiful and so empowering for so many people. You know, it's interesting that you brought up the the idea of power and military projection and things like that. And Michael Saylor recently did an interview where I was listening to him and he he made this really interesting comment. He said that the most powerful apex predator is the one that can organize the energy the best. And so when we think about Bitcoin and what you're describing here through encryption, we're taking energy that's in a cake in a, you know, tons of entropy and it's just in disarray and we're organizing it into these neat blocks approximately every 10 minutes that organizes what, you know, one party possesses and, and what they're able to spend in the future based on, you know, what that energy organized onto the blockchain is. How is that how you would describe that? How would you describe this? Because you're so much more eloquent than I am in the way that I'm thinking about this. <laughs> The problem with Bitcoin is, is that it does like five or six impossible things before breakfast, you know, like it, it does it all at once. So it's, I think this analogy is correct. And what it does, it, it uses stranded energy to protect the information of everyone, you know, like if a new block is mined, it's an accumulative layer of protection on, on the whole UTXO side of the world, on everyone's wallet, you know, on everyone's, on everyone's public information. Because the way it works is we, we have this public ledger and, and it records basically who owes what to who. And if you have a private key, you can move some of the funds in this public ledger and, you know, like take, take everything I say with a grain of salt, like technically it's a, it's a bit different, but that's how you can, <laughs> that's how you can visualize it. I say technically it's a bit different because nothing ever really moves, you know, like messages are signed and so on and so forth. Like you cannot move information really. You can only copy information. This is a very important point because this is, this is at the core of the double spend problem. You know, like you cannot. If I cannot have information in my head and move it to your head. I will always remember the information. You know, the speaker retains the information. That's the, that's the core of the, the double spend problem. But yeah, that's what, what Bitcoin does. It's, it uses this, this energy because you need a protective layer around the, the publicly available information, which is Bitcoin's proof of work. You know, proof of work does many other things as well, but it also protects the integrity of the public information. And that's the only way how you can protect 
public information without private information. You know, the other way would be to encrypt something or to sign something, and then you need the private key for it. You know, and then someone holds the private key, and then you have a quorum of signers and and all this everything we have in the fiat world. And you have some key holders, you know, that are almighty and can do all that. And, and you see this very clearly also with some of the privacy technology. You know, why do you think Zcash had like a signing ceremony? You know, <laughs> like it's, you need the private key material in the first place. And so the only way to trustlessly secure the integrity of public information is by more public information that everyone can verify. And you, you, cannot, you cannot do it with, with private information because then you, that would imply a private key holder, you know, and we don't want to have that. Like then you, would, then you would have central banks again that can decide what is true and what is not true. And so Bitcoin uses, uses this, this energy, as you say, and it organizes it. It organizes it about around the very valuable information that we all value. It is a record of what happened in the system, a record of who owes what to whom. And it protects like accumulatively the past of, of all these transactions. And that's why what I also wrote in Bitcoin is time, you know, like the, the, the way you can think about Bitcoin from this perspective is that Bitcoin creates its own arrow of time because in the digital realm, you don't have a trustless arrow of time, you know, like you will always have to refer to an external input that will tell you the time. You, you why, like why explain that. <laughs> why, why is that in the, in the digital realm that, that you have such a difficulty placing time and, look at, and time stamping? Look at, a piece, look at a piece of paper and let the piece of paper tell you how late it is. It's an impossible problem. You need an external source and you need to feed it into the system. And this external source can always lie. And that's the problem. Like it's, there is a disconnect between what is written on the piece of paper and what is happening in the real world, so to speak. So that's why I say the map is not the territory, you know, like the map of something is not the thing in itself. That's always, that's also why bananas on the blockchain will never work. You know, the bananas rot in the warehouse and what happens to the data that it's like, what happens to your sheet of paper? Don't think it, don't think about it as a blockchain. Think, you know, you know, like you have a sheet of paper and you draw a banana for every banana that's in the warehouse. And then, and then you know, like you wait half a year and then does the sheet magically update itself? No, it doesn't. <laughs> It's like, it's ridiculous, you know? And so you always have, like, there is no link between the informational realm and the, the physical realm. And Bitcoin is like proof of work is the only thing that works, that creates this link in a probabilistic fashion, because it, it creates information that speaks for itself. It's very much like in, in, in a game of cards or, or what have you, like rolling dice is the perfect example. It's like, if, if you watch someone roll dice, and let's say they roll 10 dice at once, and they all land on one, you know, like that's, that's a perfect Bitcoin example, because that's what Bitcoin does as well. Then you can, if you know that no shenanigans are, are going on and you watched him roll like 20 times already, then you know he probably did this for a long, long, long while until every single, every single dice uh, was landing at one. And, and that's like information that speaks for itself. You, you can look at this, you can look at just the information. And you can infer what happened in the real world, what had to happen. This is such an unlikely event. Like this had to happen multiple times, probably. If it didn't happen multiple times, then someone was just very, 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 very lucky. But usually people are not that lucky. So he was probably sitting there and doing this for like five hours or whatnot, depending on how many dice he, he rolls, you know. <laughs> and that, this is how Bitcoin mining works, you know, like, like Bitcoin miners, they find, they find this, this random number that in, in a process, in a game that you can't cheat. And then they announce, Yahtzee, I found this number and it, it, it fits the, the difficulty target and so on. And everyone is like, okay, like, yeah, this guy won. And, and we all have to work on the next round now because, you know, we, there's something to win. Like the Bitcoin network 
will reward you in good sets, in good hard Bitcoin for the work that you're doing, for participating in building up this arrow of time and also for participating in providing energy for this productive layer around, around Bitcoin. Let's take a quick break and hear from today's sponsors. Don't just ride the index, seek to outperform it with Fidelity Active ETFs. Learn more at fidelity.com slash active ETFs. Before investing in any exchange-traded fund, you should consider its investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Contact Fidelity for a prospectus, an offering circular, or if available, a summary prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully. While active ETFs offer the potential to outperform an index, these products may more significantly trail an index as compared with passive ETFs. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE, SIPC. Our friends at Corient provide wealth management services centered around you. Corient's goal is to exceed your expectations and simplify your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. They are one of the largest integrated fee-only U.S. registered investment advisors, and Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. They have extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. The teams at Corient put the collective power of their expertise into building you the custom wealth, investment, and family office solutions that can help you reach your holistic financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, speak with an advisor today at Corient.com. That's spelled C-O-R-I-E-N-T dot com. That's Corient dot com. When Rain Wilson had a great idea, he turned to AT&T Business. They assured him no matter how out there his idea may be, they had his back. So he came up with this, a talking pillow designed to put you to sleep, backed by a reliable network in the only network with built-in security controls. And thus, Sleep With Rain was a hit. Take your business to the next level at business.att.com. That's business.att.com. All right, back to the show. So going back to the 2022 question, what is something that's happening in the space that you think is underappreciated right now? (laughs) Lightning. (laughs) Yeah? Yeah, I think lightning is still very underappreciated. I think everything that's happening around podcasting 2.0 and the work Adam Curry is doing and just direct peer-to-peer micropayments and streaming money and authentication layers, and those kind of things. I think all of it is very underutilized and underappreciated. I think it's, it's insanely magical. You know, like we call, it, we call it magic internet money for a reason. And it's, if you're playing around with this stuff and you know, if it works, <laughs> caveat after early days, you know, like, <laughs> payments still fail, lightning is not perfect, Bitcoin is still perfect, and so on. But it, it, it's, it's improving at, at such a rapid pace. And if, you, like, if you're listening to this uh, in a podcasting 2.0 app, you, know, like, you can stream sets right now. You know, if, it's not hard to set this up on, on either side. And this is insanely magical. And I think it's still, a lot of people are sleeping on, on this. Like the fact that this exists is, is amazing. And I think it has the power to disrupt advertisement models. I think it has the power to create whole new spaces in cyberspace that can kind of work and, and monetize themselves. And I think all of it, all of it is very kind of underappreciated. So, uh, what kind of timeline do you have uh, based on like an S curve? You know, when we just look at Bitcoin adoption, you were talking about how it's just taking off at this point. We have so many 
different entities involved in Bitcoin now that it just seems so inevitable. How about on the lightning side? And, and if you can maybe talk to the incentives that are going to drive the adoption in lightning. Yeah, that's a really good question. I, um, I think what's like, there are multiple things here at play. It's, it's first and foremost, we kind of have to, the technology has to mature and we have to build out certain layers around, you know, like just providing liquidity for users and also making it easier to use, making it easier to understand. All the concepts are very foreign and novel and people don't know what Bitcoin is and, and what sets are and how this works and why do I need to write down words or what have you. But all of that is improving. So I'm, I'm incredibly optimistic in, in that regard. But I think what's even kind of uh, harder to, to put a, a year on or, or, or harder to put on a timeline is the psychological change that is mm. necessary of how to use this technology and also how to use the internet and how the internet could you look like and how does it like you know how is audio content and video content produced and what is expected and should it be free or not and uh, um, is there an, an expectation of kind of supporting creators directly i think i think this will come as well because as, as we see you know i think censorship is at an all-time high self-censorship is at an all-time high deplatforming is at an all-time high so it's a very necessary technology as well but this societal shift i think you know um as they say like the, the old guard kind of has to die and <laughs> make 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 room for for the young links that will figure this out on their own and intuitively it was very similar you know like when email came around for the first time most people were just still using fax machines for the longest time, you know, even though something way, way, way superior was here, they, they just didn't see the need and they didn't figure it out. And so I think this transition will take longer than the technological maturity will take. Any other things that you think are maybe, you know, happening in the space that is underappreciated? Well, I think the whole, the, the whole energy question, the whole, the merging of the Bitcoin mining sector with the energy sector is still also underappreciated. I think it's getting more traction now and more people are waking up to it. I think, you know, in part because of the work of people like Marty Band and, and Steve Barber and so on that are very um, open about this and sharing their thoughts very widely. And I, I really like the, the way that Marty's thinking about it, that it's going to be a question of what will happen first. Will Bitcoin miners become energy providers or will energy providers become Bitcoin miners? And it's like the race is on, you know, like as, as you said before, it's Bitcoin, Bitcoin, like it eats up this unorganized entropy, it eats up all this stranded energy and it does something useful with it. And it's like, this is so massive because the energy sector is such, such a, like, it's not a, a straightforward thing, supplying civilization with energy and supplying like, you know, like depending on on the geography deploying different industry sectors and deploying like uh, uh, um, supplying just the population in general with energy it's a it's a very complex issue and bitcoin is the perfect fit because it is the buy of last resort when it comes to energy you know like bitcoin mining is very unique in 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 its energy load profile you know like you can switch it on on and off at a whim Bitcoin mining is progressless, so you don't need to power it up or power it down. Like, not really. You know, it's not like aluminum smelting or what have you, or other things that were eating up stranded energy before Bitcoin came along. And so, I think it will it will disrupt, yeah, basically all of the energy sector in the next like ten or twenty years. Don't and you? It will, it, yeah, it will it will take it will take some time for the energy people to realize this as well. 
I think they're coming around to it though. For if we compared where we were at a year ago to right now, it almost seems like there are tons of energy producers that are looking at Texas and they're looking at some of these other parts in the world and they're saying, "Oh my, oh my lord, what do you mean I can I can monetize <laughs> all this excess energy?" I mean, I think there's something massive brewing on this front and I think it's happening very quickly. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. I would definitely agree. And I think, you know, there are some there are some kind of situations where it's just like it's a no-brainer. It's a it's yeah. a it's a match made yeah. in heaven. And uh, well, you know, like with with the the flared gas mining, for example, you know, like it's you you have to flare the gas. Usually you don't utilize it at all, and now you can as you say, you can monetize it and it's you know, it's <laughs> it's good for oil, for oil production. It's it's good for Bitcoin. It's good for the environment. Everyone is making money of it. Like it's a win-win-win situation. And I think this will it will spread from from these kind of no-brainer opportunities to the wider energy sector. And yeah, I think a lot of people are also working on kind of yeah using Bitcoin to accelerate the energy energy transition and build out build out energy sites that would otherwise be not feasible. You know, like if if you have to I don't know like build out a hybrid project. And it's it would be economically not feasible to do so. Bitcoin miners can stop uh, step in and go like, okay, for the like first five years or whatever, like we, you know, like we're gonna we're gonna take the energy. We're gonna we're gonna put some containers there and mine. And suddenly it makes sense economically to build up this project. And yeah, as as you say, all of it is is kind of happening. But it's it's also a slow process, I think, because you know, like. You don't change your mind on Bitcoin overnight. <laughs> no, yeah, it takes time. <laughs> yeah, it definitely takes time. And but I, I think, think, but I think the bottom line for some of these companies, it's it's going to become so obvious when their competitors are, you know, just adding so much to their bottom line by incorporating yeah. this strategy into it that it's almost going to be yeah. impossible to ignore. Yeah, yet, and you know, like again, I have to fall back to one of the Bitcoin memes. It's it's gonna happen gradually and then suddenly. You know, yeah, it's, yeah. it doesn't it doesn't. And I think you know, with the news, uh, like Exxon is now being outspoken about Bitcoin mining and those kind of things. Like a lot of in a lot of boardrooms, I think a lot of discussions are going on. It's like, okay, what are these people doing? What are they? What do they know that we do not know? know. <laughs> yes, yeah. So let's talk about uh, proof of stake versus proof of work. This is, in my opinion, one of the most important things. The difference between these two is probably one of the most important things for somebody that's new coming into this space to, to fully understand. So if you are going to characterize the two of them, please do so. And then talk to us about the concerns that you have for proof of stake, because I know you have quite a few. <laughs> okay i try <laughs> i'll have to i'll have to collect myself I, I did not anticipate this question i have to be honest so okay proof of stake is basically a scam period like it does not work it cannot work just in terms of timing proof of stake systems always need to do some proof of work in secret to fight off these race conditions and so on like okay, explain, where, explain. where should I where where should I even start? Well, no, man? explain like, that because I've never heard that. <laughs> I've never heard that point of view before. Explain that. Either either they're doing some proof of work secretly, just a little bit, you know, so as an anti cheat mechanism, or they have a centralized timing server. There is no other way. There is no global time on Earth. There is no global time in the universe. You know, there just isn't because of relativity. 
So a, a light signal takes like 50 milliseconds to travel from one place of the Earth to the other. And that's not like an arbit like that's not that's so there is no global state, you know, like you cannot snap with your finger and decide this is the global state of the world, because you will always have like a 50 millisecond fussy period where it's indeterminate. You cannot like signals need to travel back and forth. There is no global state in the universe and there is no global state on Earth. And, and so if you reduce the block time to lower than 50 milliseconds, for example, it would be absolutely impossible to find consensus. And that's also why chains that have slower, um, shorter block times, they have more orphan blocks because it, it you know, like <laughs> the, the risk of running into consensus problems is higher. And Bitcoin's 10 minutes is just like, okay, that's good enough. Even if you have latency issues and so on, 10 minutes is long enough for the earth to agree on a state. And this is like a physical problem. And proof of stake cannot solve this problem, period. You need to have timestamp servers that are centralized, two or three of them, that tell you the time. Because for transactions and an order of transactions, you need to know the time. Because otherwise, you would be able to spend money that you do not have. You would be able to spend money that did not arrive yet. For consensus to arise, you need an absolute order of events. And in the universe, there is no absolute order of events. It's all relative. And that's why you kind of need to build up your own area of time and so on. And proof of work is the only thing that works. All right, that's one thing. That's just the time aspect. With the proof of stake, who, like, one of the biggest problems that Bitcoin solved was how, who gets the tokens? Who gets the initial supply? How do you distribute the money? First of all, who is allowed to print the money and how do you distribute it? How does proof of stake solve it? How, how, who decides who can print? Who decides about the, the, the money supply and who, who, who gets it, you know? And if you don't have, like, it, that, are you aware of the term stake grinding and, and validator selection and all those kind of things? I've, I've, heard, I've heard some of it through the Ethereum. Yeah, community. that's a big problem. You know yeah. what solves this? Proof of work. You know, like if you're a validator or if you control most validators, you are the one who selects the next validator. So who gets the money next? And if you control all of it, then you just give yourself the next slot and you and so on and so forth and so on and so forth. And the, the systems that run into that, how, do you know how they solve it most of the time? With something that's truly random, which is proof of work, you know, like it's all stupid. Like it's why are we playing these games? Bitcoin exists. Bitcoin works. Bitcoin is fair. Why are you trying to print your own money? Why are you trying to print your own money into your own bucket? It's all unethical. It's all very, very unethical. And I'm, I'm starting, you know, I'm starting to lose my patience because <laughs> Bitcoin has been around for a very long time. And your proof of work, uh, your, your proof of stake shitcoin token, did you mind yourself or pre-mind yourself? Most people don't know. Ethereum had a 70% pre-mind, 70, 70% pre-mind. Very few people, like five or six people, have had 70% of the Ethereum supply before it launched, you know? And all the other projects are very similar, you know? Like there's always a, a few select people that print the money because it's a hard problem. How do you generate money fairly and, and distribute it across the earth, just like gold was distributed, you know, distributed fairly all around the earth without anyone deciding who gets the money? It's a really, really hard problem. And Satoshi solved it. And he didn't take anything for himself and he disappeared. And that's why Bitcoin can't be repeated, you know, like that's, it's, it's the immaculate conception of sound money. So why, why, why do people continue to like improve upon that and, and, and 
they don't even know the problems the proof of work solves. That's the, that's, the, that's the thing. The proof of stake people have no idea what kind of problems proof of work solves. And so they are, they are not even understanding the problem correctly. And they are trying to come up with a solution. And all the solutions are flawed. And you always, as I said in the beginning, you always have a certain quorum of people that decide what the truth is. And in summary, in like one sentence, proof of work relies on physics to tell you what is true. And proof of stake relies on human judgment. And I will tell you what is true. And that's the big difference. And we want to, hmm. we want to move away from human judgment. And we want to, we want to remove humans from the equation when it comes to the, to the very moral and ethical question of money production and who can control the monetary flows. We have to remove humans from the equation. And proof of stake does not remove the humans from the equation. It reintroduces them. And that's why I'm so, that's why I'm so worked up about it. And I'm, I'm, apologies to all the listeners that I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm ranting so, <laughs> so hard on that. But it's a moral and ethical question. Who should, who should be able to print the money? And who should, who should be able to deplatform you? Who, should, who, who can stop the money flows? Who can freeze the accounts? Who says what is true and what is not? And Bitcoin and proof of work, it uses physics and mathematics and something you cannot cheat. And all the other systems like proof of stake and also the current fiat system, it's all the same thing. It's a quorum of people that decides what's true. It's the central bank. It's like the 12 people in the room that decide on monetary policy. And we see this all the time. Just look at, look at the proof of stake systems that exist. Like it's, it's, it's human judgment all the way down. And that's why, you know, like that, that's why these systems, they pause and they restart and they change the monetary supply and they blacklist people and deplatform people and blah, 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 blah. We're back to the old system. Proof of stake is the system, the central bank system that we currently have. And it's immoral. It's unethical. And proof of work is a safe and secure and fair system that is based in reality, that is based in mathematics, that is based in physics itself. And it actually solves these problems all the other people try to solve. I want to uh, read something here from one of your uh, articles. So I'm reading this article and I'm just blown away at the intellect uh, coming out of this article. So the, the title of this is Proof of Life. What is life? The question of whether something is alive or not obviously hinges on one's defined definition of life. Life is endlessly complex, so it is no surprise that the answer of the question, what is life, leads to a multitude of answers. New age speculation aside, it seems that life is a process, not a substance. We can try to describe this process by looking at things which are alive and looking at what they do. They tend to grow, reproduce, and respond. They inherent traits are made up of smaller units, cells, and use energy to maintain their internal structure in the face of entropy. I, lo I love this sentence. They use energy to maintain their internal structure in the face of entropy. I'm going to keep reading here. I'm sorry if I'm embarrassing you, Gigi. From a physics perspective, living things are thermodynamic systems. They utilize the energy differences in their surroundings to maintain a specific molecular organization and create copies of themselves. Thermodynamically speaking, living systems are able to decrease their internal entropy at the expense of free energy taken in from the environment. In short, living things create order out of chaos. 
And then you write, Bitcoin is doing exactly that. It takes energy from the environment and puts things in order, i.e. it decreases its internal entropy. So you have like, you have an incredible gift for writing and explaining things so clearly. The rest of this article is mind-blowing. Here's my question. It's not about Bitcoin. It's where does this ability to write so clearly of an insanely complex topic, I mean, we're talking about life itself here, and what you just kind of described here in a way with energy and entropy and, and order is just, I just took a step back when I'm reading this. I'm saying, my God, like, how does a person <laughs> take something that's so complex and distill it down into something so understandable? How do you do that? Yeah, I think <laughs> one of the one of the one of my favorite educators was Richard Feynman, and he had this saying, you know, like it's not complex; it's just a lot of it. And <laughs> what he meant by that is that when you break it down to first principles, it's actually not that hard to understand. It's mm-hmm. just the world is there's so much of it going on at once that it it becomes complex, kind of, and it has the appearance of insane complexity. But but the passage you just wrote, it's a, it's very, very simple. It's like you, you have a thing, like if, if you're not living, you're you're decaying because you know the world is chaotic and you know you have radiation and all kinds of things that will just rip molecules apart and, and just do all kinds of things, you know, and, and given given a long time, everything will kind of you know fall apart. <laughs> and that's just the way the universe works. We we have these forces that they're constantly going on, and you know, like there's also the I can't remember who said it, but you know, a couple thousand years ago, the only constant is change. And that's the universe for you. You know, like it's it's all it's all just the dance of the molecules. And and so again, like it's very simple. If you want to have something that has a certain internal structure, you need to kind of fight against it. You need you need to use energy to keep the structure alive. And this is true for buildings, this is true for companies, this is true for everything that's living, and this is true for Bitcoin. And and I like the the motivation to write this article, Bitcoin is life. Or proof of life. <laughs> I'm, I mix this up now because I'm working on a chapter that is, you know, like <laughs> related to to these uh, thoughts, which is named differently. And it's it's it was kind of almost obvious to me that Bitcoin is is this living, breathing thing. And and again, you know, like these are not my ideas. Um, it's the first one who came to this conclusion was Ralph Merkel, which uh, you know, who who is the namesake of the Merkel tree that most Bitcoiners should know. You know, like if you put uh, hashes into hashes and so on. You have one hash at the top and it's a Merkle tree. <laughs> and so it's a very nice way to, to produce a fingerprint of a data, basically, that, that Bitcoin uses. So Bitcoin is made up of Merkle trees, so to speak. And, and he came to the conclusion that, you know, Bitcoin is the first cybernetic form of life, the first cybernetic organism, because it, it, keeps it, it, it keeps itself alive and it pays us to keep it alive. You know, Bitcoin pays miners to keep it alive. And it's all about the internal structure. And of course, the internal structure of Bitcoin is data, but you still need someone to keep the data intact and alive and find it useful enough to pass it around. And, and again, with data, you have to reproduce it to different mediums. You know, like every hard drive will die and deteriorate. Every, like, it doesn't matter what you use. If you, if you use <laughs> CD-ROMs to pick a very stupid example, <laughs> they, CD, CD-ROMs are not a, a good, like, <laughs> shout out to one of, one of the... <laughs> Twitter fights that is always going on, but CD-ROMs are terrible in terms of storage. Like they will try to read a CD-ROM that's 20 years old. Like you, you will have no, no fun with that. So, <laughs> so I, I bring all of this up because we have informational constructs that behave very similarly. Like there, there are some things, 
some informational things that outlasted empires, you know, like religious texts would be one of those examples. And they are also a kind of, you know, like if you kind of um, allow to allow, allow me to stretch the metaphor <laughs> by a lot, like it's also a living thing because, you know, it started in one language and then it got translated to another language and it keeps itself alive because people find it useful and they repeat it and they replicate it and so on. And Bitcoin falls in that category as well. But with Bitcoin, it's, it actually is a very high frequency living and breathing system. And it's, we saw it like the, one of the best examples was the mining exodus in China, you know, like 50% of the hash rate gone from the network. Or I don't even know how, how much it was, like 50 or 60%, something like that. <laughs> and it, 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 it recovered like without, without missing a beat, you know, the heart of like the heart rate of the Bitcoin network, as we said before, is like 10 minutes approximately. And approximately every 10 minutes, a new block came in. It doesn't matter that just, you know, a whole, a whole really, really large country went offline and made Bitcoin mining illegal. And very organically, you know, like all the cells of, these, of this organism, of this worldwide organism, they found, like, they found another jurisdiction. They moved there, they reassembled themselves and the hash rate came back online. You know, like the most ASICs were not destroyed. Like they, they just moved somewhere else. And, you know, like this, this wound was healed and Bitcoin marches on. And so I think the life metaphor, the, the metaphor of an organism is a, is a very apt one. And again, coming back to Ralph Merkel, he, he's, he also, he said the same thing. You know, he was like, if, if nuclear war destroyed half of the planet, Bitcoin would march on unhindered. You know, it's like he understood very deeply how this system operates. And you only need a couple of people mining and, and the difficulty adjustment will, will do the rest. Let's take a quick break and hear from today's sponsors. If you're looking for the right franchise concept at the right time, an iFlex Stretch Studio franchise is the business for you. iFlex is the newest franchise concept from the founders of the Joint Chiropractic. With over 200 licenses already awarded to our regional developers, there's never been a better time to own an iFlex franchise in your market. An iFlex Stretch Studio franchise offers its clients the best in professional-assisted stretching for one affordable price in one beautiful location. Even the Mayo Clinic says stretching can increase flexibility and improve your joint's range of motion, helping you move more freely. Prime regional developer opportunities and franchise locations are going fast. Don't miss this opportunity to get into this rapidly growing health and wellness business from the founders of the Joint Chiropractic. Find out more today. Call 888 539 or visit iflexpodcast.com call right now 888-994-3539 or visit iflexpodcast.com today's show is sponsored by public.com that's where you can earn 5.1 percent apy with the high yield cash account while we can't say for certain it's the highest interest rate there is we can say this it's a higher rate than Robinhood, a higher rate than sofi a higher rate than ally a way higher rate than Bank of America and Chase, a higher rate than Citi, Wells Fargo, Discover, and it's a higher rate than American Express too. So if you want to start earning 5.1% APY on your cash, check out public.com. We can't say it's the highest interest rate, but it's pretty damn up there. This is a paid endorsement for public investing. 5.1% APY as of March 26, 2024 and is subject to change. A high-yield cash account is a secondary brokerage account with Public Investing, member FINRA slash SIPC. Funds from this account are automatically deposited into partner banks where they earn a variable interest and are eligible for FDIC insurance. Neither Public Investing nor any of its affiliates is a bank. U.S. only. 
Learn more at public.com slash disclosures slash high dash yield dash account. As many of you know, I love studying businesses and networking with business owners. The more I've studied businesses, the more I've realized that starting and scaling your business is easier than ever because of companies like Shopify. Did you know that Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S.? Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify even helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. What I personally love about Shopify is that it's the turnkey solution to kickstart and grow your business, and they are totally committed to giving you the necessary tools to succeed as a business owner. Plus, they have an award-winning customer support team there to help you every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at Shopify dot com slash WSB. That's all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash WSB now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. That's shopify.com slash WSB. All right, back to the show. So I want to jump over to this question that you have proposed to people because I find this question so interesting. What's the single best question you can ask someone to gain an understanding of how much they know about Bitcoin? <laughs> yeah, I, know, I think I, I, know I always use the <laughs> I always use the same one, which is like let's say let's say uh, you know the last Bitcoin block arrived eight minutes ago. How long, will, Preston? How long will, will it take uh, for the next Bitcoin block to come? When will the next Bitcoin block? I don't even want to answer last... this because I don't want to be judged. <laughs> <laughs> so the the last one the last one was eight minutes ago. When will the next uh, yeah. Bitcoin block come? Approximately. I, so I saw I saw this thread and I saw some really intelligent answers that people would put there and answers that I hadn't really, you know, because when a person hears this, they're like, oh, well, two minutes, right? Like, because every block is 10 minutes, but that just shows you how, how little you kind of really understand about the math and all the other inner workings that are at play. And so uh, one of the points that somebody brought up is... Uh, well, how, you know, if let's just say China banned Bitcoin and we are dealing with a giant difficulty issue because all this processing power has gone offline, maybe, maybe the average blocks are 16 minutes at that point. So maybe the answer would be uh, you would maybe expect another eight minutes from, from now or whatnot, but so much of it's probability based. So I don't even know that you can you can answer that question with any type of confidence without somebody who's a mathematical genius kind of like rolling their eyes at you. Well, the, the short correct answer is like ten minutes. It's always ten minutes. Yeah. And the reason for that is like it's it's very similar to the gambler's fallacy. It's like you're standing at the roulette table, and you know, like let's let's just pick uh, red and black. You know, and let's say red came up ten times in a row. What's the chance that that black will come up next? You know, and people are like, oh yeah, black has to come now. You know, like it's it's yeah, it's almost yeah. guaranteed that black is coming. But no, that's wrong. You know, like it's it's again we're back to coin flip. So it's 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 fifty fifty. You know, the chance hasn't changed. And the same is true for Bitcoin mining. It's like every individual hash that you do 
has the same chance of finding a valid block, given that your nonce is picked randomly, you know? Mm -hmm. And so it's like, it's like rolling, a, rolling, rolling a dice, which has many, 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 many sites, like trillions of sites, you know? <laughs> and, and it averages out that if you roll this dice all the time, that it takes about 10 minutes until you actually manage to roll the right number. But, you know, like, again, it's memory less. So, so like every single, every single role has like a minuscule chance of, of success. And that's why the correct answer is like 10 minutes from now, always, you know, and, <laughs> and it's also always wrong. You know, it's always wrong. You, like, you know, like it's, 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 it's probability is all, all the way down, but it's a very, it's a very good question to kind of see where someone is at in, in their understanding of how Bitcoin works on a technical level. I loved it. Now, have, have you received any questions that you thought were, were good questions beyond that one that you just asked? Because I think that that question is brilliant, by the way. <laughs> I think there, there were a couple of good ones, but uh, I, I, it, it was a while ago when I asked it, so I don't oh, have okay. it at, at, okay. the, at the top of mind. Here's a strange one for you. Why are you so obsessed with knowledge? Because I mean, I'm, <laughs> I'm looking at you there and you got your, you know, your library behind you. You obviously... You know, you were talking about Feynman and, and how you got all this stuff and you just got to find the, the you got to condense it down to the stuff that's actually first principles. But in order to do something like that, you have to have this foundation and this breadth of knowledge to start with in order to be able to piece that together and to kind of know where to look for the first principles. So for you personally, what has, what has incentivized you? to become so knowledgeable and to be so well-read and to be a knowledge pig? No one ever asked me this question, so I'll have to give you that. <laughs> That's something. Um, I don't know. I think I always just thought that stuff was super, super interesting. Like, it's, it's amazing. Like, the universe is amazing and the world is amazing. And I always wanted to kind of find out how the world works and how this stuff actually works, like how it actually works. And it's, it's you know, like almost like a child. It's like, ask why five times. Uh, I, I know you like this as well, right? Like, yes, yes. <laughs> you, right? But it's just keep asking why and, and, and you, will, you will see that absolutely everything, everything is interesting. And so, yeah, I, I, I always liked computers. So computer science kind of came naturally to me. Like how do computers actually work? Like what makes all this magic work? And, and like, make no mistake, it is, it is absolutely magical, you know? Like, what we have now, like the fact that we are speaking and I can be an invisible man and you don't know <laughs> who I am and where I am. And, and we are speaking through like, you know, these, these, these tubes that are the internet and, and no one really knows how it works, but it works. And people are listening while they are on a run and they have their magical like beans in their ears that speak to them and everything is connected wirelessly. You don't even see what's going on, but it, it just kind of works and so on. All of it is, it, it's pure magic. Like not, not only Bitcoin is magic, but, but all of this stuff is. It, it's insane that it works. And of course, like once, once you figure this out, it's, 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 a, it's kind of a, or, or once, you, once you realize this, then you realize, okay, what, what, what's biology? Like it's doing the same thing, just yeah. way oh, more God. complex. <laughs> like, like we can't build those machines that is a cell or that is, you know, like a worm or a day fly or what have you. Like it's, those are incredibly complex things, you know, and I don't even want to call them machines because I think, you know, it's more, it's more, more complicated than that. <laughs> you can't reduce absolutely everything uh, 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 down to, to a pure machine thinking, I, I think, you know, and it's, 
it's yeah it, it just went from there you know and then you you go into into for example with the cryptography stuff you know the root of the root of it is mathematics why why does why does the universe work in that way why why is it allowed why well, there is there was this thing i think it was julian assange who said it for for some reason the universe smiles on encryption you know why do we have this asymmetric defense why is it that i can do a little bit of math and no government in the world can extract the secret from me why is that you know and you you go down that route and it, it will blow your mind like with days on end i think you know like there's it's one of the reasons why some of the mathematicians go insane it's like <laughs> study infinity long enough and, and and your brain will implode and and i think it's 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 just I found some some things interesting, and it just spread from there. And I figured out that everything is interesting if you <laughs> dig down into it for long enough. And yeah, with with Bitcoin, it it just as I said before, like it it completely blew my brains out. Like, how can this thing create information that is valuable? I because I dismissed Bitcoin for the longest time because I thought I I knew my computer science and I I knew that every computer system can be hacked and. Like, you know, there's copy paste. You can't have bits that are actually valuable without a central authority. Like you can't have it. And then I, I, I realized, okay, Bitcoin is actually created that. How, how does it do it? And who was genius enough to figure this out? Like it's, yeah. it's a lot of, there's a reason why a lot of people say like, it's alien technology, you know, like it's, it boggles the mind. And it's also, you know, coming back to, to magic internet money. It's like, uh, and, and more and more people are kind of waking up to this realization as well. It's, it's almost too good to be true. It's like a fairy tale, you know, there comes this, this, <laughs> there comes this shadowy figure and he remains, he manages to not dox himself and, 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 and not mess up his anonymity and he creates this thing and, and he stays around for a while to just make sure that he gets out the door and then he disappears. Like it's, it's straight, it's, it's straight from, from, from like a movie or, or a fairy tale. And, and yeah, I, that's that's why I still I still keep reading about Bitcoin and digging into all all the aspects it, it touches, which will eventually be everything. But you know, I had to study up on economics and monetary theory and monetary history. I knew nothing about this stuff. I was I was coming from from the computer science crowd. I I knew what a you know I, I knew what a, what a hashing algorithm is and what a what a public private key pair was and, and and that was my start with Bitcoin. I knew nothing about money and I I didn't care about money and I. Paradoxically, I I still don't, you know, I care about fixing the money, but that's about it. You have a really great quote in your article about time and, and Bitcoin. And the quote is the time stamping was the root problem to be solved is always apparent by examining the references at the end of the Bitcoin white paper. Out of the eight references in total, three are about time stamping itself. And uh, you list the the three things there. And I, you know, you've really helped me personally understand why that is so important and why that's the revolutionary breakthrough into what Bitcoin is fundamentally doing is this ability to timestamp a ledger and for it to become immutable. Just br- brilliant writing, just brilliant writing. A, a lot of people like they, you know, <laughs> it's. It's interesting because, you know, coming back to the proof of stake discussion and all of those things, I, I, I truly think that a lot of people that are working on these projects have not read those papers yeah, <laughs> because yeah. then they would realize how difficult the problem is. And a lot of people, you know, they know, they know the, the Byzantine's general problem, you know, they know at least the phrase Byzantine general's problem and so on. And Bitcoin solves the Byzantine general's problem, but it solves it in this roundabout, weird, probabilistic way where you create this piece of information. And you can all agree on the truthfulness of this piece of information. And, and the, the reason why you can do it is, is because 
you have these absolute things that behave like timestamps. And you can you can map them to our time in the in, in in Bitcoin because again, like a block comes in every 10 minutes approximately, you know? And so so the way I, I explain it in Bitcoin is time is like every clock, even like it doesn't matter if you take a, a grandfather's clock or like a, a one that uses uh, a cesium or one that uses like the atomic clocks and so on. You always have something that swings and something that produces a, a tick, you know, like a tick tock of a clock. And Bitcoin does the same thing. It's just that every tick is one block. And so you have like, a, you, you can use this to build up a sequence of events that everyone can agree upon, you know? And, and, and that's, that's again why a lot of people misunderstand the piece, you know? They, they, just, they, just, they just see the title and think, yeah, Bitcoin is time in the sense of like money is stored time and so on. That's not what this is about. It's about building up a purely informational construct, something that is just information that creates an arrow of time where everyone can agree, this is what happened first, then this is what happened next, and this is what happened next. And no one was able to modify this information. No one was able to, to mess with this information. And this is why in Bitcoin, every single block is linked. And every, like, every, like, that's why we call it the blockchain. It's chained together. It's linked. And every block header contains the hash of the, pre of the previous block. And what this means is that every single block speaks for the entirety of the Bitcoin network. And that's why it works. That's why you can be so sure that this is what happened. It's all linked together. And removing those links and, and doing it anew, it, it takes a lot of time and energy. And that's why you can look at it and you say, okay, this is, I can say basically with certainty, like with virtual certainty, this is what happened. And I know this because of the underlying game theory, the underlying mathematics, the underlying physics. A lot of computers had to crunch a lot of numbers for a long time and use a lot of energy for this number to appear in the universe. There is no other way. And that's how Bitcoin solves the coordination problem, the Byzantine's general problem, and all the chess. And it, and, and, it, and it has to do it via timestamping. You need to have an absolute measure of time in the sense that A came before B, came before C, and so on. And this is what Bitcoin does. And this is what only, only Bitcoin can do in a trustless manner. If you don't use proof of work and if you don't use, to use Adam Gibson's term, the reification of information, that information speaks for itself. Information itself behaves like a physical, tangible thing. Or like, like Hugo Nguyen put it, um, with proof of work, we give blocks weight. You know, we, give it, we give them real physical weight and they behave like physical things. Without that, you will always fall back to just trust us. Trust us, this is what happened. Because we, the quorum, we signed up. Like we, look, just look, we signed it with our keys. And we tell you this is what happened. We are the central bank. And we tell you like A happened before B and before C and it's signed by this key. And we, we, we just tell you this was the order of events. And no, we want to move away from this. You, know, like it's, you need something else. You need something physical. You need something real. You need something that's independent, independently verifiable. You just look at it and you know it's there and this is what happened. That's why also people, when writing about proof of work some years ago, they used the pyramids as an example. You know, like the, Egypt, the Egyptian pyramids, the Great Pyramid of Giza, it's not proof of stake. Like you, you can verify yourself that this is there and it, look, it took a lot of work for it to be there. And this is also how Bitcoin works. You just look at it and you know, all right, mm. something had to happen in the real world for this to exist. Like mm. this was not mm -hmm. made up. And that's also why Bitcoin is not fiat money. It just is not. It is a very real money. It is very much like gold, but it's way, way better than gold. You can teleport it. You can store it in your head and so on. I mean, everyone <laughs> knows that by now. But it is not fiat money. And Bitcoin, 
was created by Satoshi in the mathematical space, and miners are just digging it out. But we know from the very beginning, from the Genesis block, 21 million, never more. And Bitcoin is already defined. You know, we are just kind of, we're, we're discovering it just like gold. You know, like gold doesn't grow underground. It's there and miners are digging it out. And the same is true for Bitcoin. Bitcoin is defined in the mathematical space. And that's also like, that's one of the main misconceptions people have about mining. You do not create Bitcoin by, by, by transmuting energy into Bitcoin. That's not how it works. Because otherwise, if, if, we, if we would link money to energy, then if we would get way, way, way better at producing energy, we would automatically create more money. You know, if you have a fusion reaction, you have a money printer. Like that's, that's not a good idea. Satoshi fixed the supply schedule in time. You know, we know exactly how much Bitcoin will exist. And it's already predefined. It's predefined in time. And miners are digging it out of the mathematical space. And that's why we can say with certainty, like, it, uh, you know, like <laughs> with certainty, approximately in the year 2140, all the Bitcoins will be mined. And that's it. 21 million, never more. And once people understand this, then it's also clear, you know, like, Bitcoin mining does not waste energy or so. Like you, you're, not, you're not using the energy to mine Bitcoin. The energy is there for something else. The energy is there to solve the coordination problem. The energy is there to build this protective layer around the records of everyone. The energy is there so you produce something that is real and something that you cannot cheat. The energy is there because Bitcoin has to be physical money and not political money. We want to move away from political money where people make decisions. It has to be physical and proof of work makes it physical. Absolutely mind-blowing stuff. Last question for you, and this one's pretty technical. BIP119, there was a lot of questions from Twitter, people wanting to kind of hear your opinion on this. And I think that it's, there's two main pieces here. It's, it's the process for getting the, the BIP pushed through, then also the BIP itself. If you can explain it in layman's terms for, for the non-technical folks as to what we're talking about here, and uh, just kind of describe your thoughts on it. Yeah, I, I think I have to disappoint most of the uh, Twitter people <laughs> because I, I, I don't have a strong opinion on it. Uh, and I honestly, I, I didn't read too much into it yet. I think the, you know, the controversy is only like two weeks old now or something like that. And I usually try to kind of ignore those, the drama of the week as best as I can. And <laughs> if it goes on for a prolonged time, I, I will dig deeper into it. But I think, as you said, you know, like there are two issues. The first issue is like, how can we do this on a technical level? And is the proposal actually technically sound? And there are certain opinions on that. And the second one is like about the activation method. And if we like the way it's in the way that the people that worked on this for a very long time are trying to, to push this into Bitcoin, so to speak, and, and get it activated and so on. And I think, you know, like in hindsight, it's always, everyone's always smarter in hindsight, of course. <laughs> and in hindsight, we should have had this discussion with Taproot, you know, and a lot of people mm -hmm. were allowed about this, that, you know, like, should we really like push Taproot through in that way and uh, do the speedy trial thing and, uh, and so on and so forth. And now it comes back and kind of <laughs> bites us in the ass uh, that, you know, like there, there is some yeah, uh, precedent for pushing something through quicker than usual, so to speak. Maybe, maybe I can, can, can add this as a comment. I think what's interesting in Bitcoin is that no one can tell you what Bitcoin is. Again, as I said in the very beginning, Bitcoin puts the individual at the center. That's why you have, to, you have to decide for yourself kind of what Bitcoin is and what it should be. And so we will always have these, these contentions in Bitcoin. And, you know, like, and, and a lot of people, I think, already know this. You know, like there will be a discussion around privacy and so on. Like there will, there will be future upgrades to Bitcoin where 
most people probably won't agree. And the, the reason why, why it is that way is because precisely because there is no central authority in Bitcoin. You yourself, with your node, by running the code, by holding your own keys, you decide what Bitcoin is. And you have to kind of grapple with this reality and you have to make a decision what kind of, what kind of software to run, what, what, is, what are the consensus rules and so on. And this is, this is true, like this will, this will always be true, you know, like it, <laughs> of course, you know, Bitcoin will ossify and, and making upgrades will be harder as time goes on and so on, as other uh, internet protocols, for example, ossified in the past or as, you know, like languages and so on are also an example. And it's, you will always kind of have to make the decision. Like I, I also um, compared Bitcoin to a game in the past, you know, like what, what, kind, of, what kind of rules you want to play by. And this is a very individual decision because there is no central authority. There is no one who will dictate um, what Bitcoin is, what, what are the right rules and, and what are not. And, and maybe one last point. Um, I think a lot of people are not really aware about the implications of pushing soft forks through because a soft fork, you know, like there's a, there's a soft fork and there's a hard fork and the hard fork is bad and dangerous and then it won't be Bitcoin anymore. And we, we would, you know, like, uh, I mean, we had contentious hard forks in the past and then you have uh, two coins and so on and blah, blah, blah. And so soft fork is good and soft fork is always good and, and, and not risky at all and so, and, and so on and so forth. And that's not actually true, you know, like a soft fork can be very risky as well. And also just keep in mind that reversing a soft fork is not really possible because reversing a soft fork will always be a hard fork. And so we, sh we should have the debate and be careful about pushing things into Bitcoin. I think the most important bit about Bitcoin is to not break it. Again, as I said before, like I think, I think we have one shot at this. I think there was only one one uh, immaculate conception of you know sound money and and fair distribution and and, and and all the chess and so i think we should be we should be very cautious um we should we should be very very sure that we are not doing something stupid and, and breaking something but again like i don't have a very informed opinion on it i i did not read into the technicalities of of the proposal and i'm also not up to date to uh, with the drama <laughs> so apologies to all my twitter friends for not having a hot take <laughs> on this one do you kind of find bitcoin being a little bit like a cell in in that as that cell develops the epigenetics get set and then they can't really be reversed and so like a heart cell is a heart cell and an eye cell is an eye cell and a bitcoin protocol be basically materializes and matures into Bitcoin and this infighting and the soft forks and everything just kind of, you get to a certain point in, in the life of, of the DNA of Bitcoin developing that the epigenetics are set. Yeah, maybe, maybe we'll, we'll see. I, I think, again, I think you see this with other protocols as well. Like just take Bitcoin is often compared to TCP/IP, for example. Mm -hmm. Like that's why why uh, people are talking also about LNP BP, so Lightning Network Protocol slash Bitcoin Protocol. It's the equivalent of TCP/IP. You know, IP is the very base. Like the Internet Protocol just just pushes around zeros at once, basically, and and TCP is is what creates the more nuanced <laughs> connections, so to speak. You know, and it very like it's it's a very nice analogy. And if you, if you look at, at this tech stack, we, we, we knew very early on that the IP space of uh, IP numbers, IP addresses, is just too small. You know, we will have way more devices 
that we have IP addresses. Mm. And that's why in your home network, you will always have like 192.168 or like 10.001 or what have you. And that's why we have network address translation, you know, like not every device is uniquely identified. We have this, this additional layer of like, we have these internet backbone routers and they have their sets of numbers and every single home has basically the same sets of numbers. And we just, you know, one home gets one public number and then you have a couple of private numbers that the home network figures itself out and so on. And it's all not very beautiful and very complicated and it's, it grew organically. That's what we have. And we try to upgrade from IP version four to IP version six where every, it would be better engineering-wise. Every device would have like a unique identifier and so on, a unique number. And we tried to upgrade this for, I don't know, like probably like 20 years now. <laughs> I have no idea, but for a long time. And so that's also some sort of ossification. It just takes a long time, but it's not really ossified. Like people, devices support the new protocol and just the switch will take a very long time. And I think in Bitcoin, it will be similar. I think in Bitcoin, the base layer, it will ossify in a sense. And it's also, you know, if you are a, a pension fund that is holding, you know, like trillions upon trillions of dollars in, in Bitcoin, do you want to change Bitcoin? <laughs> do you want to upgrade it, no. so to speak? Yeah, exactly. You pr probably don't want to do this. And so you have multiple interests that will um, fight against those kind of upgrades. That's why I think it will ossify. But we have second layer technology, you know, very much yeah. like we have with, with other internet technologies. And so I think a lot of the things, I mean, you know, like take everything I say with a grain of salt, because without SegWit, we wouldn't have Lightning, you know? So, so this was definitely a very important uh, soft fork to, to get in. In my opinion, there are some soft forks that would be great to have. But, but again, it, I, I think it's more important to not break uh, mm -hmm. Bitcoin. And just to name one, I think a cross-input signature aggregation, for example, would, would be good because you like you you can define constructs that you can think of of future layers that would do settlement on bitcoin and you would have like privacy as a byproduct so to speak you know and and i think that would be good that's like the upgrade from http to https and just getting ssl into the internet stack and have secure connections by default and so i think some of those things some of the upgrades are bound to happen because everyone basically agrees that this is a good thing and this will again take a long time but i think in general let's say like 30 years from now i would surprised if bitcoin upgrades a lot i think it will be ossified mm -hmm. by, by that point in time yeah yeah gg i can't thank you enough for making time to come on the show i'm a huge fan of yours your writing is phenomenal please uh we're gonna have all this in the show notes but tell people where they can find you and, and connect with you if they're interested yeah, the best place is probably on Twitter. I'm DerGG on Twitter and my Twitter handle.com, DerGG.com is uh, my site where I publish all my writing and you'll find other links to other projects I'm involved with. And yeah, you can read all my articles there. You can also read my first book, 21lessons.com. Um, you can read it for free online. Guys One did the audiobook. I'm running the whole project basically and the whole site on a value for value basis. So it's all on, published under an open source, free license. You're free to use it, remix it, translate it, do what you want, print it out, sell wow. it. I don't care. That's awesome. <laughs> and I plan to, <laughs> yeah, it's, it, it's great because, you know, like the book was translated in, I don't know, like 12 or 15 languages or something like that. Just the community came together and was like, hey, that's helpful. We're going to translate it. And I think my articles, it, it's... It's now more than 150 translations or something. It's, it's completely insane. And I, I can highly recommend this model. Just set, set the content free, you know? 
information wants to be free and information is non-scarce you know just <laughs> just just give it out there and again as i said in the very beginning i think the world would be a way way better place if more people uh, understood bitcoin and so that's that's what i'm trying to do i try to help people understand bitcoin and i i'm actually somewhat actively working on a second book i just have too many things going on so writing <laughs> is slow but I, I'll get it done, I'll get, and I'll get it out there, and I'll uh, I'll, I'll publish it under a free license uh, as well. And uh, the first couple of chapters, one of them is Bitcoin is Time, is online as well, and it's twenty uh, one waysbookcom and you can read the introduction and the first three or four chapters or something. And it is phenomenal, by the way, absolutely phenomenal. Thank Gigi, thank you so much for coming on. Really enjoyed this. Thanks so much for having me, Preston. It was fun. If you guys enjoyed this conversation, be sure to follow the show on whatever podcast application you use. Just search for We Study Billionaires. The Bitcoin-specific shows come out every Wednesday, and I'd love to have you as a regular listener. If you enjoyed the show or you learned something new or you found it valuable, if you can leave a review, we would really appreciate that. And it's something that helps others find the interview in the search algorithm. So anything you can do to help out with a review, we would just greatly appreciate. And with that, Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you again next week. Thank you for listening to TIP. To access our show notes, courses, or forums, go to theinvestorspodcast.com. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Before making any decisions, consult a professional. This show is copyrighted by the Investors Podcast Network. Written permissions must be granted before syndication or rebroadcasting.